0: Some poor mug who's working in a motel or a hotel or waiting tables or he's at a gas station or he's sort of an aimless
1: drifter and he he encounters a dame that is not what she seems and everything just goes to hell. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 629, 2018's top podcasts. Happy New Year. You just heard novelist Christopher Moore talking about his comic masterpiece, Noir, a novel of dames and mooks, and because it's a Chris Moore novel, strange non-human creatures all set in 1940s San Francisco. My conversation with Chris was episode 592 of the RSE podcast, and it was one of our top 10 most downloaded podcast episodes in 2018. For this first episode of 2019, I thought it'd be fun to check in on our most popular episode, Episodes from last year and give you some audio teases of episodes you may have missed. The 10th most popular episode from 2018 was 586, Reduced Show Report, in which Reed Martin, Teddy Spencer, and I reviewed the 10 or 12 Broadway shows we saw while we were performing at the New Victory Theater in New York City last March. For me, the, 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 the worst thing I saw, and worst is relative, was School of Rock, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical version of, of the film starring Jack Black. That was the worst, in air quotes, that I saw, and it still killed. I mean, it was still great. Uh, the story works, and I give all the credit to Mike White, who wrote the original screenplay. And I like Andrew Lloyd, Webber, Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. I we we make jokes about him as you do in our business, but um, I like his songs. I didn't think this is his best score. I also did, the, the, but the things I didn't like about it were the musical direction, because it felt like some of the songs should just be soaring by the end, and they just sort of stop. And uh, or and I didn't care for the direction. Uh, the actors, mostly mo- the kids, were terrific, but the grown-ups had been directed to act as if they were on like a bad Disney Channel or. Nickelodeon show. So it's kind of big and over the top, and that's not my taste. Mm -hmm. That being said, the audience was filled with a a a lot of young people, incredibly diverse audience. Woman next to me, who this was at least her second time seeing the show and bringing a new group of kids to see it. That was very encouraging. Um, And as Teddy, you pointed out, you know, it's (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, uh you know kids playing instruments and rocking out how's how's that not gonna crush yeah totally getting yeah. to see him just you know throw throw uh all carrots in the wind and just rock out is awesome yeah, yeah. and no it was right and the guy who played jack black was playing jack black but he was also really good he had great comic chops and musical chops you'll have to listen to episode 586 to find out which show was our favorite Christopher Morris Noir episode 592 was our ninth most listened to episode. Checking in at number eight was my interviews with the actors playing Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev in the Goodman Theatre production of Blind Date. William Dick played Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev after having just played Ben Johnson in the production of Book of Will that I was in, and so I was asking him about his research. We sh- so we shared a dresser group for, during the entire book of will process and and I know in that rehearsal process we had a lot of research materials uh, at uh, at our at our, available to us um, and I and I knew that you had this massive biography of Gorbachev. <laughs> um, uh, a did you really read that or was that just for show? <laughs> and B
2: um,
1: is that research helpful or do you uh, at the end of the day just rely on on the the, the text
2: in the script? You know, I actually read most of that book. I read, I kind of poked around in the William Taubman biography quite a bit and found um, just some really interesting things about his past and uh, read mostly up to, from his birth up to 1985, because that's the date that the play deals with. It was fascinating to, to do that research and realize that both Reagan and Gorbachev Came from very humble backgrounds, from you know relative poverty and uh, um, tiny towns, to uh, to become you know the most powerful men in the world. Pretty extraordinary.
1: It is, and and the play I think successfully shows that with you in its depiction of Gorbachev and his wife and maybe yeah. less so with with Reagan. I. I I did love those scenes. Um, how much did the play
2: change in rehearsal? A great deal. We got scenes. We got. I got two new scenes. Uh, the Saturday during previews, the Saturday before we opened on Monday. Um, we read through the scenes on Saturday afternoon, and they were on stage in front of an audience Saturday night. Oh, that's and fun. And that's pretty much... <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: The 7th most popular episode of 2018 was my conversation with Kate Powers in episode 580 about the Redeeming Time Project, which uses theater and Shakespeare in prisons to give agency and the tools to re-enter society to the incarcerated and hopefully formerly incarcerated. One of the things I asked Kate was how she can quantify the efficacy of her work. You're not only doing good work because it's good work, you can prove that it's good work, because the recidivism rates are so low. And can you explain what that means and why that is?
3: Right. So uh, the national recidivism rate is about 68%, which means that within two years of release from prison, 68% of the people that we incarcerate are back in the system for a new crime or a parole violation. And in fact, that's a falsely low number because after two years, uh, we don't count it as a repeat offense. We count it as a new crime. crime. Um, So so the number is even larger, which means that we're not uh, giving anybody the tools to re-enter society and be successful. Uh, We're just punishing people. It's just retribution. Uh, But men who participate in prison performing arts programs like Shakespeare Behind Bars, like Rehabilitation Through the Arts, and now the Redeeming Time Project across the country, men who participate in those programs, the recidivism rate drops from that national average of 68% to less than 5%. Um, And then one of the things that we saw at Rehabilitation Through the Arts at Sing Sing Prison, where Uh, you can get a GED or an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree is that after a few years involved in the theater program, uh, men who've been told their whole lives that they're stupid and that they're thugs and that uh, they are not smart enough for school discover that if they can stand up in front of 600 class A felons and speak Shakespeare, they can probably also get their degree. And men who earn their bachelor's degree while they're incarcerated, their four-year degree, the recidivism rate is literally zero. So we are a gateway drug to college and it is the a uh, prison-to-college pipeline.
1: Number six was our tribute to National Public Radio broadcaster Robert Siegel, who retired in 2018 and was instrumental in raising the RSE's profile and first bringing us onto the NPR airwaves back in 1994. This was episode 577 and filled with many interviews and outtakes. Here's how Robert first introduced us to the National Public Radio audience.
4: If you can imagine the humor of the Berkeley campus and the humor of the burlesque hall melded into a single performance, one funny, smart, sophomoric, slapstick, bawdy show, then you can imagine the reduced Shakespeare Company, three Americans who perform the complete works of William Shakespeare, abridged, in a single two-hour production. I first heard them on the BBC World Service, which ran their six-part radio version of the complete works, It is radio in the spirit of The Goon Show and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Non-stop gags. For example, one of the men does impressions of women, Queen Elizabeth I, Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham Carter, without the slightest attempt at an appropriate voice or accent. In the last episode, they came on the air, said hello, then promptly signed off until a BBC technician was heard. Uh, Boys, can you give us a little bit more?
1: How much? About 28 minutes. He says another 28 minutes
4: we've got to do. we got to do another
1: 28 minutes? No way, man. We told Uh him this was going to be short.
4: It's audio footnote time.
1: The previous two seconds of silence is what's known in radio circles as dead air. This is a technical term, meaning that the speakers have dried up. Another technical term, meaning the complete idiots had completely
4: forgotten that they needed to complete the episode. That was audio for no time. The Reduced Shakespeare Company has performed on stage in London and is now in Washington, D.C., performing at the Kennedy Center. We invited them in to talk and perform a little. As I said, this is burlesque, and a couple of moments are a little off-color, so please either adjust the color on your radio or stay tuned and meet the Reduced Shakespeare Company.
1: The fifth most downloaded episode in 2018 was number 578, our interview with Steve Josephson, Jared Rasick, and John Poston, three members of the Prague Shakespeare Company, who were doing their production of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, directed by our old friend Jennifer King. I asked the guys how they started performing Shakespeare in Prague. Everybody here, every expat here in, in Czech Republic is running from the law. Jared, what did you do? Uh, uh. Insider trading. Okay, insider oh, yeah. trading. But you're from Houston, right? Yes. Why did you come to Prague in the first place? Or did you come here to stay, or did you come here and decide, I'm going to stay?
4: I, I came here, Guy Roberts was doing a Romeo and Juliet uh Seven years ago, and he needed a Juliet, and here you are, and here I am. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's awesome, Steve. How did you end up uh, in Prague? Uh, totally by mistake. I, I had no plans of coming here, and in fact, I didn't even know where Prague was the first time I came here. Well, you know, oh, I, you studied American uh, edu- exactly edu- what geography and American. education. You know, I'm a California boy. So when I went oh. to school, there was a, uh, a a big line across Europe, and this was all gray, and it was like, oh, this this, this was communist. You don't know, you don't care where who these people are. No. Yes. I was I was doing a show at the Edinburgh Festival, and. Uh, Czech uh, film producer saw it and I, I, I came here and just actually fell in love with the city and was like oh wow, I don't need to go back home Right, well it's an easy city to
1: fall in love with, my goodness um, and it's so the Prague Shakespeare Company, I did an interview um, back just when you guys had just opened, back in January with the artistic director of the Prague Shakespeare Company, Guy Roberts an incredibly handsome man um,
2: <laughs> I want to know
5: what they mean when they say you should see his Richard the Third. is that a euphemism? Oh <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I'd leave it to my wife, D Ryan, to make it blue this early in the podcast.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Rawson, chairman of the American Theater Critics Association, and you're listening to the
1: Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSE the RSE? You can see reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Maisels. It's on sale worldwide and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the US and the UK on our website. In two weeks, we begin our week-long run of the complete works of William Shakespeare, Abridged, Revised, at the legendary Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope, Pennsylvania from January 16th to the 21st. Then we continue on with performances around the country in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, Wingate, North Carolina, Morristown, New Jersey, Lancaster, California, Idaho Falls, Idaho, St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota, Reston, Virginia, Houghton, Michigan, Appleton, Wisconsin, Lubbock, Texas, Amherst, Massachusetts, Flint, Michigan, River Forest, and Effingham, Illinois. Illinois, Meridian, Kansas, a week at the Virginia Arts Festival in Norfolk, Virginia, and we'll be giving two performances of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged in Los Angeles, at the Broad Stage in Santa Monica, California. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to our countdown of the most downloaded podcasts of 2018. Interestingly, six of the top ten most popular episodes have a specifically Shakespeare theme. And that includes the fourth most downloaded episode, My Conversation with Howard Sherman, about that great Canadian TV series, Slings and Arrows, which aired for three seasons and focused on the travails of a Shakespeare festival modeled loosely on the Stratford Shakespeare Festival, but familiar to anyone who's ever worked in any theater anywhere, or even attended theater anywhere.
0: I don't think you watch Slings and Arrows and roll your eyes at the show, or even how the show is plotted. You may roll your eyes because you're amused by the characters, but part of what's so extraordinary about Slings and Arrows is that it is a comedy, yet it is a comedy in which everything is absolutely recognizable. From theater, even though it's Canadian theater
1: and we're Americans, it's the same. Oh, it's the same. Pretentious artists are pretentious artists the world over. But I would—I roll my eyes at Mark McKinney's character, the managing director of the New Burbage Festival. He's incompetent.
0: I. Think he may be punching above his weight, <laughs> but as somebody who has spent his career as a theater administrator, mm-hmm. I may have more insight into the challenge that you than you do, Austin. That's
1: uh, that's a hundred percent true. All I know is that
0: I don't know how long he lasts. All you know is that the check's clear, and that's what you want to know about theater administration.
1: I used to be in theater administration again, like like Burgess, This is also recognizable where f- f- five three people are doing the work of ten or fifteen.
0: Yeah, no, what, what's so extraordinary about Slings and Arrows is that it is simultaneously a fairly good picture of what it's like to be at a theater company and a wonderful gentle send up of what it is to be in the theater. Mm-hmm. Because there are all of these, not fall on the floor funny moments, but there's, there, there's these really witty things happening and yes there's a few things in it that are broad the Mm -hmm. the character of Darren Nichols the director is 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 fairly over the top but but we've met those people we certainly have and if I had to put slings and arrows up against smash for instance for authenticity yeah I would take, I would take slings and arrows first.
1: Absolutely, and Smash, uh, was just, I, I pulled muscles rolling eyes watching Smash. The third most downloaded episode of 2018 was my conversation with Anne Morgan, the literary manager of the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, who's spearheading a program called Shakespeare's New Contemporaries, a groundbreaking undertaking to discover, develop, and produce a new canon of 38 plays inspired by and in conversation with Shakespeare's originals.
6: One of the many things that makes this project unique is that we are asking writers to engage with things that are at the heart of our mission, which is a larger company of actors, 10 to 12 actors. We are asking them to write for Shakespeare's staging conditions of universal lighting and audience engagement um, and all of those sorts of things. Um, So we're asking writers to not only um, be inspired by Shakespeare's plays, but also the way HE THOUGHT ABOUT WHAT HE WAS WRITING FOR.
1: Well, and this, this, what did you say? Thirty-eight plays.
6: Thirty-eight plays over the next twenty years.
1: Over the next twenty years. Well, you you look very fit. You <laughs> might you might survive this. Um,
6: Maybe.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, but this is a massive project. So you're you're rolling this out a few four plays at a time, right? What, what, what's the what's the first wave of plays that you're looking for companions to?
6: Sure. So each round of applications, we will be looking at four Shakespeare titles. From those four titles, depending on what is submitted to us we will select two companion plays um, and the two uh, lonely Shakespeare plays will go back in the pot and cycle around in in the future. Um, So the first round of plays uh, the deadline is February 15th Um, it's Henry IV part one Merry Wives of Windsor The Winter's Tale and A Comedy of Errors.
1: Oh, so if, so if you've got a Falstaff play kicking around, that could uh, that could work for a couple of those plays. Good. If you've got a comedy about twins percolating, that could work. The second most popular episode from 2018 was my interview with Sean Cross, who was a magnificent Lady Macbeth in the Chicago Shakespeare production directed by Aaron Posner and the magician Teller. One of the first things I asked Sean was how she managed to find the balance between finding and playing the character and navigating all the magical tricks and effects.
3: It started...
5: Early on in December, we were workshopping some magic bits and Uh and looking at very technical, only technical issues with Aaron and Teller. So in my brain, I understood at that point, this is another character in the play, and there's no avoiding it. There's no avoiding the technicalities of this magic. Um, And I learned that throughout the rehearsal process, too. There were definitely times where we had to accommodate the technicality of what we're trying to do visually and for a spectacle or for a trick or an illusion. Um, And it hurts sometimes an artist um, to have to feel like you're bending your story around Mm -hmm. that. But I feel like they went hand in hand so well that the tricks support the uh, text that at the end of the day, there was a way no decisions were made about story that completely bowed to the magic but it was a very delicate balance all the way through i was allowed to be very vocal and opinionated about when it was appropriate and when it wasn't aaron and teller were very open Uh to my opinions about things and um and likewise i had to then be open to them saying great idea no (laughs) let's move on or great idea yes let's go further
1: And the most popular Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast episode of 2018 was, perhaps not surprisingly, episode 593, in which I was joined by Mark Gagliardi and Hal Lublin, hosts of the We Got This podcast, to decide once and for all what is Shakespeare's greatest play. If you haven't heard it, you should definitely check it out. We narrowed Shakespeare's 38 plays down to six finalists and then went from there. Okay. Oh boy, this is tough. Um, how do you get yeah, six of Shakespeare's greatest plays, and how do you pick one to get rid of? Uh, right. I, I think. Let, I can ha- we just start this with they're all amazing? We know that yes. they're. Yeah, they're the great candidate of literature. Yeah. Yes, it's an honor just to be nominated to be the six. <laughs> <laughs> this. And and also. May, uh, maybe you have business, Austin, doing this. Hal and I clearly have no business doing this. <laughs> no, this is not true. Shakespeare is for everyone. Good. Shakespeare is for everyone. Everyone deserves to have an opinion about Shakespeare. And if you if you've listened this far, you definitely have a right. You do. Let's see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, I apologize, Mark, but I'm gonna have to eliminate Midsummer Night's Dream first. Oh. Yeah, it's oh. look. I, I get it. It's the children's matinee. <laughs> yeah, it's just I have seen too many versions of it, and uh, you know, in terms of it's it's it it's it's great for all for many 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 reasons that it introduces people to Shakespeare, and it has lived so long and survived so many terrible productions. Um, but in terms of his greatest work, I I, I don't think it can. I don't think it can compete. Listen to the whole episode to find out which play we actually picked. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. I'll put links to each of these 10 episodes on this episode's page. And, of course, all 629 of our podcast episodes dating back to 2006 are archived on our website. Just click on the podcast menu on our website, ReducedShakespeare.com. Then send us your year-end favorites via email to feedback at ReducedShakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at ReducedShakespeare company or on my preferred platform on twitter at reduced you can also follow me on twitter at austin titchener thanks as always to also a podcaster matthew croak web services by ginger power limited music by john weber and garage band a random fan shout out this week goes to coltrane t johnson no reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Christopher Rawson, theater critic from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 629, 1887 of the Reduced Shakespeare Company.